I had three failed IVFs before we had a successful one. And that was our first positive pregnancy test 10 years to the day after we started trying to build our family. So you can imagine a 10-year journey. You know, I went through it all, through depression, anxiety, doubt, fear, loneliness, exclusion. You know, I in the days before the internet, you really walked in fertility alone a lot. You didn't have access to the resources that are readily available. Now, you know, there was just a lot of transformation that happened to me during those 10 years. And I do detail a lot of that in my story and talk about death days and and how I overcame fear and the part that getting to know my commander in chief played and how I got to find the goodness of God in, in the middle of my brokenness. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Hello, Altered Story Show listeners, and happy March. Wow, we are in March and Women's History Month. This is your chief storyteller host, Michelle Saunders Gutch, and welcome to episode 76. Dawn's story, Dawn's transform for God's purposes, God's story. Thank you for listening to this episode and to my show that is part of the Spark Media Network and can be heard on the Edify app, the world's most powerful Christian app. Friends, I hope all is well. I'm excited that spring is coming. I'm not thrilled about my allergies, friends. I might sound a little bit stuffy here because I'm trying to transition from Kansas City to the area to Nashville area with my allergies, but I'm excited to be here in Nashville attending the National Religious Broadcasters Conference today and also the Spark Media Conference, which I attended the last couple of days. And I will say what a wonderful opportunity to network with so many amazing Christian communicators and to see all of my podcasting friends. I also was very blessed to learn some great tips and nuggets about podcasting and a lot of great ways to get to know all of you listeners better. And for those of you that are interested, I'd love to have you share some feedback on my show. And I will give you about my show, about the episodes, and I will give you a shout out on my podcast. So I'm hoping maybe a few of you will step up to the plate. Also, while I've been here, I met my memoir, healing book publisher, Athena Dean Holtz, with Redemption Publishing. And we set a plan in place to start the process of writing my book outline. So that's a big step, friends. It is. And friends, I also wanted to thank those of you who voted for the podcast for Most Binge Worthy Podcast. I didn't win this award, but I can't wait to see what other awards this podcast will receive. Now, friends, it's time to get this show started. And today, I am super excited to bring to the mic my special guest, Dawn Hamden Stark. Dawn is a change agent, an author, storyteller, church volunteer, and a promise seeker. She's also a philanthropy manager for Operation Blessing and the founder of Repurpose Lives, a social business 
that supports justice ministries. She also lives in Florida with her husband of 36 years and five children. Oh my gosh, five children. She holds a BA in government international relations from Regent University and an MA in international community development from Southeastern University. So she definitely knows her business. And friends, I want to now to get to know her. So hello, Dawn, and welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, Michelle. I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm, we are in spring. We are, we are ahead of you here in Florida. The pollen is all over the surface of cars and everything. Wow. Ugh. But it's such a beautiful time of year, but it's also so, you know, trying to adjust from one season to the next and pollen, it's a killer. I mean, I don't know how you do with it, but man, my eyes swell shut. I mean, I'm on a lot of allergy meds. Yeah, me too. And our air's always on. So that helps a lot. Yes. Well, I appreciate all that you do, Dawn. And you being here today and, you know, I would just like to know a little bit more about you. Would you let the listeners kind of share, share your, just, you know, maybe about your business, your book. I mean, I didn't say you were an author. (laughs) That's one thing, but I do think it's really good to give the listeners, you know, more info about some of those wonderful things that you're doing. Well, so professionally, I work for Operation Blessing. That's my day job. That's my paid job. I am a philanthropy manager for the Southeast region. And I work with our partners throughout uh, about seven states that are, you know, supporters of the ministry. We're very busy right now responding to Ukraine. And uh, CBN and Operation Blessing have made a big commitment to working with the refugees that are coming into Poland. And also now it looks like we may be deploying some teams to Romania. So we are assisting those folks that are leaving everything and, you know, running to someplace safe at those borders. Then we are, we are distributing supplies and aid to help those families. Yeah. You know, Don, my heart is breaking over this. I mean, I've been watching the coverage. I think the recent bombing hit a maternity hospital. There's and, just a lot of tragic stories that we're hearing too. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful for your ministry there and what you're doing and how you all are stepping up. And, you know, I know God is with these people and, you know, I really honor those that are staying, standing their ground, but I will say that it's really hard to see families being torn apart and kids, special needs kids and kids with cancer and vulnerable people. There's a lot of vulnerable children in Ukraine anyway. So yeah, it is a very difficult situation. If any of your listeners are interested in helping, you know, ob.org and go to our website. It's all over our homepage. We did have a, CBN did host a special prayer event last Saturday with live coverage from Ukraine. And we're going to be doing more of that. So any of your listeners can plug in through the ministry to learn exactly what we're doing. It's very fluid. Our situation is changing all the rapidly changing situation. It is. And I mean, I I think CBN is prepared to respond 
you know, the way they have to based on the experience and the people there and their commitment. But thank you for sharing that. I really do appreciate you sharing that. I feel like we're making a difference by bringing you on today and sharing this podcast and then having you share that too. So that's so important. Well, my book is called Called War. I released it in November and it's metaphorically taking my 23-year infertility story about transformation and telling it through this lens of warfare and maybe what a person would go through as a recruit and as they work their way through a military career. I found all kinds of parallels in scripture and actually in, in the natural too with what a military family might go through to my journey. So my book has been out since November. I have an accompany study guide that goes with it. And it really is part inspirational, part devotional, you know, partially tells my story. And it looks at this very thing that what you run from is maybe the very thing God's leading you into, but how a journey with God transforms the way you look at things, the way you feel about things. And then ultimately it transforms what you do with your life. And that really has been my adult story really for the last 40 years of my life. Yeah, you have an amazing story, lady. I I mean, I really know you have little stories and lots of different stories that have fed into the bigger story. I just love your heart for stories and for God and for your passion, you know, with children and social justice and all those things. And so why... Do you think it's important for women to share their stories? I mean, we know, you know, some why it's important. I always like to ask my guests why, you know, because everyone has a different perspective on it. And, you know, storytelling is an art. And I learned so much about the power of the story and the characters and all those things that have to transpire in, in the storytelling process. I would love to hear from you you know, why you think it's so important for women to share their God stories? Well, I think two reasons. I think our stories, there are testimonies. So they tell of God's faithfulness, but they bring hope and they also can empower somebody else on their journey. So I think it's both things. People cannot live without hope. Um, Shane Lopez, who's a hope researcher, says that hope is like the oxygen that we, that we need to live. So if we have hope, we can endure another day, we can overcome another difficult situation, and then we begin to build some resilience as women, we can, we can anchor, we anchor our hope in God. But when we can find somebody that can come alongside of us and encourage us in our hard place, it really can make the difference in over in in a situation where you need to overcome. If you feel alone, you're hopeless. But if you're in a tribe, it's a whole different perspective. There's somebody to lift you up. Yes, I agree with that. And, you know, I think Jesus, that's why he shared so many parables. And and of course he was, you know, phenomenal in his parables and telling. And, you know, even now today, when I listen to any information about how he approached parable telling and all of that, I mean, he was just so, I would call it anointed. (laughs) Yes. 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 So your book. Okay. It has a lot of different, I guess, different um, ways of sharing your story. And I would love as you parallel your book to what you're sharing, I would love to just hear 
your thoughts around some of that too. But I would, of course, want to hear how you're transformed for God's purposes, 23-year infertility journey, God's story began. Okay, well, yes. So it is a long story and I have picked a particular part that I would like to focus on on the podcast, but just to zoom out for just a minute, I do have a 23-year infertility story. We were married a year when we started it with, so we have a very, we have a very marked beginning date and a very marked end date of our story. We thought that there was probably going to be some difficulties. My husband was born with a birth effect that we assumed would cause some trouble, but I don't think we actually, I mean, we never saw that it would prevent us from having children. You know, I mean, we were young and naive and, and that's really how I kind of tell it in my book that we were recruited for a war we never knew even existed. And we found ourselves as new recruits in boot camp, and we were completely unprepared for the journey that the Lord had had planned for our lives. And through the course of that journey, and so I'm going to be moving ahead here to get to the part I want to tell you about, we ended up having, we went through seven high-tech infertility treatments. They're called in vitro for those of your listeners who have been through treatment that they'll know that term. It's also called IVF. I had three failed IVFs before we had a successful one. And that was our first positive pregnancy test 10 years to the day after we started trying to build our family. So you can imagine a 10-year journey. You know, I went through it all, um, through depression, anxiety, um, doubt, fear, loneliness, exclusion. You know, I in the days before the internet, you really walked in fertility alone a lot. You didn't have access to the resources that are readily available. Now, you know, there was just a lot of transformation that happened to me during those 10 years. And I do detail a lot of that in my story and talk about death days and and how I overcame fear and the part that getting to know my commander in chief played and how I got to find the goodness of God and in the middle of my brokenness and all those things transformed me a lot. God was very, very sweet to me. He met me and, and gave me Lydia, who actually will be 25 on St. Patrick's Day. So just, you know, pulling out. I love that. Go Lydia. I got, I got, I was very, very, you know, I was the lucky one after all. I like to say she came um, after a very, it was just crazy. The warfare we had for her, even the the bed rest and prematurity. I had a condition called placenta previa that had nothing to do with our infertility. And, and it landed me in an extremely high risk pregnancy where I had hemorrhaging and that lasted for nine weeks. I mean, it just was our getting our kids. I have no way to say this other than it was all war. Every single one of them were a battle to get in my arms. Uh, we did have some years, I call them, you know, just years of, we had some reprieves. So we had some time at R&R. I felt like the Lord gave us that we were able to rest and recover again and get hope for the journey. And, and then another battle came And on my seventh in vitro. God blessed me with twins. I had full-term boy and girl twins, and I knew the, they came home on Thanksgiving day. I mean, everything about it was beautiful. They came home on Thanksgiving day. I knew that I knew that my journey with treatment was finished and that I would never be pregnant again, which, which brings me to what I want to talk to your, your listeners about today. A lot of people during those, during that decade would talk to me about adoption. So the big part of my infertility story, which you already know, cause we've already said that I'm an advocate for for um, justice ministries, that's not who I was, you know, when this all started. I wanted my children, my husband was in ministry, and 
you know, I just as soon would get the new house. We, I wanted the American dream, right? I wanted the new house every couple of years, the three kids, the, 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 you know, minivan life and a new diamond at every significant anniversary. That was the extent of how I saw my Christian life, you know? And I thought because I was a tither that I was do all these things. <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to say anything on that. Um, well, I don't think you're alone. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people that hold to that position. Yeah. You know, and that sets you up for disappointment. Oh, my, my, my. You know, I got saved when I was five. My parents were pastors. I was raised in the church. I had no lens for, like, we read about trials and perseverance, but I had no lens that that would happen to me. I was the good girl who did everything right. And just assumed that everything would come on cue. And what I refer to as my loving commander in chief, he loved me way more than I love myself. And he saw so much more he had planned for me than I could ever envision. And was much more than being uh, limited to mine and, and, and ours. He wanted to, in fact, had called me to be a missionary when I was 12. And I had no lens for that. I wanted to be a cheerleader. That's all I wanted. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go live in Mexico or whatever. And <laughs> I, I didn't know that at that time, missions was one particular way. You know, the world we live in today, missions is, is just a whole different thing than it was when I was 12. You know, exactly. So I only knew to say no to what I knew. And tell God what I wanted was to be a cheerleader and to be popular. And then I wanted to be married and have my babies and that sort of thing. And so God was gracious to me and that he filled my heart. Remember I told you about hope, how yes. hope is like oxygen. God knew how and when to give me enough hope to persevere in the transformation process of my story. So I love it. multiple, my twins were probably three. I was probably, yeah, they were three getting to be four. And I don't know how to explain it, except there was just this echo inside of me. There was an echo that I couldn't get rid of. I knew there were more children. I didn't know how those would come because we had said no to adoption during that decade because my dad was adopted. My dad was adopted in the 40s. That was when adoptions were secret and they were what's called closed. So none of the information was available. And my dad found out when he was nine or 10 years old from a neighbor kid who didn't want to pick him in his ball team that night that he was adopted. And it fractured my father in ways that, you know, are um, that he's still at 75, still healing from. Deep wounds. Those are deep wounds. I mean, especially, I mean, I can't even get my head around you know, how that must be to live in a family and believe that you wholeheartedly belong in every your existence and then find out at the age your dad found out. I mean, that is crushing. Yeah, it's crushing trauma. It's it's trauma on trauma because somewhere in his soul, he did know he was adopted there. You know, adopted kids know these things. Something's just not right. I grew up then in the shadow of a man who did come to know Christ, but um, was very angry. And all he ever really wanted was his mom. Yeah, he saw, he searched for her. He did find her very early in my infertility story. And all that did was affirm to me that there'd be no way I would be anybody's adopted parent. I would not be treated the way I watched my dad treating his adopted mom, you know? And I just thought better to not have anybody 
than to have a, a, a baby that really would grow up and not want me anyway. So we proceeded through our infertility. I, I was, I was, I jokingly say I had like that raised hand, like if anybody came to me with their adoption story and everybody wants to tell you their adoption story when you're going through infertility, everybody wants you to know how you can have a baby. And I didn't want to hear it because I'd already shut, I'd slammed the door on adoption like I did on the, on missions. I didn't want it. You know, I was not, no, thank you, God, not going to be spent that way for your, for you or anybody else. <laughs> You know, what happens is when you're transformed enough to know better, but you're not all the way where God wants you to be, he just is persistent. And if we let him transform us, he's got just some beautiful things. I mean, I think so often people say no to the pain because you can't deal with what you can't resolve. So we like to just end it ourselves and take control of it. But I'm a prolific dreamer. There was so much unsettled in my soul. I knew that there was something I didn't see. And so on Christmas night, 2005, it was December 25th. I don't know how, but somehow somebody had given me a CD from Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, I'm assuming most of your listeners know him. He's a Christian singer songwriter. He's written a lot of music for the last probably 30 or 40 years, but he's also an adoptive parent and an adoption advocate. Show Hope is the name of his his ministry where he runs his advocacy through. So someone had given me this DVD and I just got home and, you know, put all my babies to bed. You know how long Christmas holidays are, you know, you're just exhausted and. Oh yeah. Especially <laughs> when you have twins and another one. Yeah, baby. It was a busy, busy, you know, couple days. And I don't know why, but I popped the DVD in the player that night. And all I can tell you is that God planted a seed of adoption in my heart that night. Immediately when I saw that DVD, I'd never considered international adoption. And I say this jokingly now, but I thought back then, well, that solved the problem of the birth mother for me. I mean, in my mind, which was so naive, even then, you know, I look back, I'm like, boy, you were naive start to finish kind of on this whole thing, but God let me know just enough to move into where he wanted me to be. And uh, I called my sister that night who also had three children, had no infertility, but loves Jesus like I do. And I'm sobbing, you know, emotional at Christmas night and I'm going to adopt internationally. And I think you should do this with me. And she starts crying and says, she thinks she should. And then laughingly, you know, we need to tell the guys of the new plan. You two, you two sisters, I bet you're a piece of work when you're together. Yeah, a piece oh. of work, right? Yeah, yeah. So we leaned into that. You know, that was a whole journey on its own. For those listeners you have on here, I just want to say if they're walking through infertility, they're not alone. I have a lot of resources on my website. I'm happy to share with them. People can reach out to me on Facebook. I, I make myself available to people walking in fertility because I, I want them to, to never feel alone like I did. And my other piece of advice for them is treatment is hard and adoption is hard. They're both fraught with difficulties and hardships and heartbreaks. My recommendation is you only walk one door to one journey at a time. Um, what I found adoption to be was broken and difficult. Uh, I've been an advocate for foster parents for many years now too, and that road is challenging. So there's nothing easy about any of this, but God is so good when you get lined up for his purposes because he gives you the tools you need for each season that you're walking in. He does. I mean, you definitely had several seasons there. The next step, where did that go? 
Okay, so we did lean into adoption and went, we had thought we'd do Vietnam actually. And it, you know, it takes months and months to get your home study done. And all we did all of that. So that was in December. We finished our home study in the middle of summer and we were both approved. We were getting our orphan petitions from the US government. And we got word that Vietnam was at a three year waiting list. By this point, I am 38 and I have been walking this road of infertility for getting close to two decades now. We never did have a miracle pregnancy or anything. And I did not think that was right because just to get, wait three and a half years for a referral, then several more years to bring that child home. I had to think about my other children too. And I knew that wasn't right. And that I was missing something. And we took some time to pray about it. And anyway, here's the God story that I want to share with your people. Yes. Yay! In October of that year, then it was just the very beginning of October, we found a waiting little boy in Guatemala and his name was Dennis. The reason we knew he was our son is because Dennis was my dad's name. And Dennis was born nine months to the day later after that seed of adoption was placed in my heart. He was born on September 25th. So God very much had a timeline for me. Those of us in adoption circles refer to a Chinese proverb that there's a red string connection. I think it's a God connection. But I was uh, drawn to Dennis Leonal. Um, He was my son. It did take another you know, I call them my adoption wars because they were difficult and challenging. I made seven trips to Guatemala. We did adopt two children that we did bring home. But the funny thing about Dennis, my son, is that he is exactly like Dennis, my dad. And the our family laughs all the time because here I'm, God chose me to raise my father. <laughs> so it's the irony of ironies. <laughs> wow. I would just... What does your dad think about all this? Well, you know, my dad, my sister did adopt too. She ended up going mm-hmm. to Ethiopia. So I brought Dennis home and then she brought Ashu home. And then I brought Rebecca home. Uh, what my, has happened in my dad's story, this is the beautiful thing about our, our journeys, right? They overlap. I mean, that's, that's how God, he made required for connection. We don't live independently. Our stories they laugh with, uh, they overlap other people's. My dad has been experiencing healing from his adoption because of his grandchildren's adoptions and how he's been able to reframe things about his adoptive mother because he fiercely loves his daughters who now are adoptive mothers. So he has just seen things completely different. Um, Our family has really been healed of adoption by adoption. It's just been a beautiful thing. Wow. Don. Yeah, a lot of people need to hear this story. I have a lot of friends who have adopted children. And unfortunately, it has caused a lot of chaos and trauma and challenges. And some have really even walked away from their adoptive children. And I know you probably have some wisdom around how do you raise an adopted child? How do you bring them to the place where they can, I guess, get the healing that they need too. Or, I mean, I'm assuming this adoption with these other kids, your sister too, were they closed adoptions because they were international? International is a little bit different. They don't really actually term them that that way. I have access to the birth mother's names. Just this last year, we did a search and found my my son's birth mother, which is another whole story we won't get into. But yeah, so I don't want to sit here and act like adoption's this rosy thing. I mean, raising kids 
I have five and four of them are teenagers right now. Miracle children are not, they're children. And they're just a lot of work, you know, especially in this, this te technology age and social media age it is a very difficult time to raise children. Adoptive children have a lot of baggage. There's no way around it. If you're a family of adoption, there's a broken story in there. Things have, the good news is, here's the good news. Things have changed a lot in orphan care and adoption and trauma-informed care since my dad was adopted. It's not perfect and everything is people are still broken, our souls are broken, but there is hope in some of the current thinking about how a brain can be trained, even if it's been affected by trauma, how love can overcome some of those challenges. For instance, the type of discipline you use for an adopted child, it has to be different than maybe traditional thinking or maybe a Christian home might have embraced before. I've been challenged in so many ways with trauma-informed care because if you don't do it right, you don't get good outcomes. I mean, these are kids that did not bond well. The older they are when they are adopted, the more challenge they have. If they're from an institution, there's all kinds of additional challenges, even related to that brain even being uh, permanently unable to be healed, depending on how long they were in institutionalized care. So my recommendation, and I have a lot of resources on my website too about, about adoption, Karen, Dr. Karen Purvis is a fantastic re resource for trauma-informed care. The best thing an adoptive parent can do is read, 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 and read, and assume that you need these tools. Don't assume that just because you got this adopted child when they were just born that there's not going to be issues. There are going to be issues. There are. And it's better that you know that and you're, you get ahead of it so that you're prepared when they come. Yes. Such great wisdom of yours and, you know, practical advice and God advice here from your experiences raising. Now, are your kids today, are they all believers? Um, all my, oh yeah, my children love Jesus. They are, you know, my oldest daughter is 25. She is a social worker. She is now working on a licensed clinical health, a mental health counseling degree at Regent, actually. She served in Guatemala for two years. The So my journey has changed my dad, but it's changed my daughter. My daughter, after we, I took her to meet her, her brother when she was, what, 11 or 12 to Guatemala. And she started learning Spanish. She's uh, certified in Spanish language by some institute in Spain. She's bilingual. She worked for two years being a, doing social work in Guatemala uh, because of how much, you know, our family has been transformed by these journeys that God has taken us on. Uh, my twins are 20, both young adults working, you know, my daughter's an artist, very talented artist. She's in color guard. My son is wanting to be an actor and probably going to move to LA. And then our babies are both in ninth grade now. And my son, he's this Mayan football player. And he's, he's strong and fierce and uh, wants to be professional football player. And my daughter is in the Kilty Band here in Sarasota. We have something called the Kilty Band. So they're all doing very, very well. And I'm thrilled to have been their mom and be part of their story. I have found that my infertility journey has probably marked all my children. I've probably, not probably, I've parented, I'm sure, through a lens of loss. You don't, I've had, you know, a 23-year journey for me has made me aware that there's probably some PTSD level issues that I need to work on. And actually, my next book is going to be Parenting After Infertility. I feel like the Lord is showing me many patterns in the word and examples of 
how those of us who've walked through long-term um, barrenness with empty arms and a broken heart, how we and how we should parent so that our children have the best possible outcome. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm thrilled to you know, continue what God started in my life. Um, my adoptions led me into being an advocate. That's really where I see the mark of my transformation. It's when God made it more than about just me and mine. I look and I say, it was when I went back to college to get qualified so that I could be an advocate for other children and families in need. And now that's, you know, that's enlarged to food insecure families and trafficked victims and those needing uh, life-saving changing surgeries and clean water. I just find that when you get to justice and God cracks your heart into the need, that's really what he wants his people to do. He wants us to be advocates and lovers of the vulnerable. He took that 12-year-old who only who said no to missions because it was dirty where she went, and he put such a need in her heart to be filled by him in such a way that it's my great pleasure and delight just to say to the Lord, whatever you want from me, is good. It works. And that's, I think, the purpose of Christian life and transformation. I'll tell you what, I love this. I thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing from the bottom of your heart. And God does these things. I mean, he, he is just an amazing God. We are walking in obedience and serving him and wanting to do his things to understand the power of God and how he works, even in the hardest conditions that are out there. And that's why, you know, I'm holding hope for the Ukrainian people right now. I mean, there's just so much media attention around it, but, you know, we do have this whole vulnerability and challenge all over in, you know, countries everywhere. I know God will work in the hearts of those that are listening today. So I'm grateful and I think this is a great segue now, Dawn, to um, close us and our conversation. But I do want to know from you, is there any like encouraging words from scripture? Is there anything that is that in your book you would refer people to or, you know, for this long journey of adoption and long journey of infertility or when people are in those seasons? Yeah, there's all kinds of you know, I dive into Hannah in the book and I get into Job and I, every chapter has a, a, so any part of my story, it's overlapping with the, with the story from the word and encouragement from the word. But this past weekend, I got to minister to a group of ladies on this topic of repurposed lives, which is the name of my social business. And I didn't even get to tell people about that, but they can go to repurposedlives.com and take a look at what I'm doing to recycle and be a steward of gently used stuffed animals that families no longer need. So I'll just leave that at that. But I was ministering to these women this weekend, and the Lord really led me to Ruth. I spent three hours sharing from the book of Ruth on this idea of transformation that, you know, Ruth had an entire identity. She was a Moabitess princess. She had an identity. And uh, she, to leave that land, to follow Naomi, it was leaving everything that defined her, everything she knew. But it's a beautiful, we all know that the, the passage in Ruth one, where she says to Naomi, where you go, I will go and your God will be my God. And, you know, she follows Naomi, who's very broken and bitter by this point. Right. And I think in Ruth's story, that was her conversion. Um, and what you see over and over again in Ruth's story is this idea of a 
providential relationship that couples with a pivotal circumstance that moves her forward. So the providential relationship in Ruth's story was Naomi and the pivotal circumstance was following her to Israel, which led her through a series of these things, which put her a Moabitess princess in the lineage of Christ. So we cannot fathom the journeys that God has for us. Every biblical character goes through these journeys of transformation. There's no way Joseph saw himself. You know, he had these grandiose dreams of his siblings bowing down to him, but then he's thrown in a pit. He did not see himself as a ruler of Egypt that would not only save his family, but save a nation. So I I think, you know, Ruth could have gotten stuck in her pain. She could have said, I'm staying here. I'm not moving forward. It's too painful. And we all have that choice in life. Are we going to be stuck in our pain? These hardships that we go through, infertility, divorce, death of a spouse, a handicap, uh, poverty. I mean, there's a million reasons why we can be stuck in our pain. Or are we going to take what we have and say to the Lord, wherever you go, I will go. You'll be my God and I'll follow you. And then we'll see the good things that God has for us if we just dare to dream that dream of God. What beautiful ending words. Inspiring. Thank you again for taking the time today to share. I really hope I run into someone from CBN (laughs) since they are looking at honoring Pat Robertson. I mean, what a man, what a man, Uh, a godly man has done so much for, you know, so many. And so it's a, a blessing here to close that out. And I thank you again for sharing and friends. We're going to have all of Dawn's information up on our episode page. We're going to hear her podcast and her book and some of her resources too. And I know there's ways that you'll be able to reach out to her because she is very available for that kind of thing. So again, thank you. And until the next show, friends, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a faith-based, nonprofit, and women's evangelistic storytelling ministry located in Overland Park, Kansas. If you enjoyed listening to today's story, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of women all over the world, too. So please, subscribe to our show and share the link to this podcast. Share it on your social media. We also welcome your valued feedback on our stories. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories and welcome your tax-exempt financial donation. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, you can log on to our website at www.alteredstories.org.